whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few of the Greek women of high standing as well as men. <clears throat> But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, we, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we are not we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard, the now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of God. I'm going to take a different approach with this passage. 
mainly because of the length and the denseness of the information there. So we're going to just take an overview look at this passage, and I've drawn out a few key major points that this passage presents to us. Now here, the main, the main thing that this entire passage, this chapter, focuses on is Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus and his resurrection, that's what it is. And when you talk about that today, okay, if you can just imagine, or maybe you guys already do, but if you can just imagine talking about that with people who do in, in your life, whether it be at work, at school, at home, with your friends, outside in your community, at the Starbucks you go to, at the grocery store you shop at, whatever it is. If you think about talking about this with people who are sometimes very well educated, sometimes very successful, it may come across as something foolish to say. And not only that, because it was, if it was just a matter of the content of foolishness, we wouldn't have any problem with it because we joke about foolish things as well. We not only joke about foolish things, we look at foolish things on the news, even on YouTube, and we laugh about it and we talk about it. So it's not just about the, the foolishness of the content of the message that we're talking about, but it's because it's so tied to our identity that we find it sometimes very difficult to talk about this with people, with conviction. It's because the, Jesus and the resurrection says something about us in the minds and hearts of the people who hear it. It's because it's not only that the message is foolish, but we become foolish because we're the ones who are talking about it. I want to encourage you today and maybe help you look at Jesus and the resurrection from a different point of view so that maybe you can have a little bit more courage in those kind of situations so that maybe your conviction will be so strong and unshakable that it doesn't matter what people think about you believing in Jesus Christ or his resurrection, that people will want what you have. That even if they don't believe and even if they are not persuaded by what you have to say about Jesus and the resurrection, that it will become so attractive to them that they would wish that it were true. Can we get to that place? Let's take a look at this chapter and see what makes Jesus and the resurrection not only beautiful to people and to even our own hearts, but also what makes it powerful for life change. I want to show you three different groups that come out. Three different groups, three different responses, three different values, and one central message. Three different groups. You have, Thess you have Thessalonica, you have Berea, and you have Athens. The Thess Thessalonica was a chief town of Macedonia. It was one of the largest and most important cities of the Greek world. It was a commercial city and a seaport, meaning it was famous for business, versus a city like Philippi, which was a military city which was famous for its soldiers and its warriors. Thessalon Thessalonica was a business city. 
There were many resident Jews there. So you had immigrant Jews who came into this Greek city and they were making a good life for themselves to the point that they became so established that they were able to build a Jewish temple there, a synagogue, in the middle of a city that was never Jewish to begin with. You have the Thessalonians. Secondly, you have the Bereans. Now, the Bereans, it wasn't a commercial city. It wasn't a seaport. It wasn't known for its business success. It was a town that was very old. It was an ancient town. That means there was a lot of history there. And it was the first city to surrender to Rome. So it wasn't a strong city. It wasn't a military city-state. It was vulnerable in many of those senses, but in its history, it was very rich, an ancient town. And then you have Athens. It was a sprawling metropolis. It was architecturally and aesthetically beautiful and progressive. It was the home of the famous Areopagus, which is a Greek word that means the hill or rock of Ares. And it was in this court where the famed Socrates was tried by 500, or I forget the specific number of jurors, but it was 500 years before Paul arrived. And then if you read Plato's Apology, or if you've read it in your college years, you know that um, it didn't end well for Socrates there. So you have these three different groups with three different backgrounds. And each of them, because of their backgrounds and where they were coming from and the state of their hearts, they had three different responses. You have the Jews in Thessalonica. They responded to the gospel and they responded to Paul and Silas with jealousy. The Jews, they gathered a mob from the marketplace once they heard about Paul and Silas. And they attacked the house of Jason because Jason was a recent convert. And Paul and Silas, they were preaching the gospel and many people were coming to them. Many people were believing in them. And for the Jews who were there, they wanted that power. They wanted to retain that authority. And so they did what they could. They persecuted Paul and Silas, the missionaries, and they also persecuted the missionaries' uh, Greek uh, contact in Thessalonica, who was Jason. So you see, when you are so committed to the gospel, it's not just those people who bring in the gospel or who are mainly living for the gospel or whose full-time ministry is the gospel that are persecuted. It's also the people who are associated with that. And in that, we can see that there is indeed a cost of discipleship that we need to count when we think about following Jesus Christ and believing in his resurrection. Now, these Jews, they were so jealous and their hearts were filled with such hatred that later after Paul and Silas left to another city, when they heard news that, they were, that Paul and Silas were doing well in that city, they followed them to that city to try to attack them there. But even in the midst of all this persecution that arose from jealousy, there were still some who believed in the gospel message and who joined Paul and Silas on their mission. Now, when Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica, 
and they go to Berea. There's a different response there. There's no jealousy there, but there's open-mindedness. And these Bereans, they received the word, they received the truth of the gospel with such eagerness. And what that means is they were willing to listen and they were passionate about what was being said. They were ready because they knew the scriptures, they were in it. And it says they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul and Silas was saying is true. And many of them believed. So there was an open-mindedness there. And lastly, there is a curiosity. When Paul goes to Athens and he sees this metropolis with many, many idols, he sees one that is dedicated, a sculpture that is dedicated to the unknown God. And he uses that as an opportunity to proclaim to them the God of the Bible. And they were interested. But notice, curiosity is not belief. It's not faith. You can be curious about the Word of God and yet not believe in it. So it can be a totally cerebral mental uh, activity. And you may not your life will not change. They wanted to hear more. But some of them, they were interested in what Paul and Silas were saying until they got to Jesus and to the resurrection. Once Once they realized that Paul and Silas was talking about rising from the dead, right? They dismissed them. Why? Because they were they were intellectuals, right? And that goes to the third point. We go to the values. Because the values teach us why they responded the way they did. Okay? So if you look at the Thessalonians, they responded with jealousy because their value was success. And um, I remember that even growing up as a child and as a student, um, success was a major part of the culture and the city that I grew up in. An article from Forbes.com by Jim Cantrell, uh, who, is, who was on the fi- founding team of SpaceX with Elon Musk, he said this about success. There is no doubt in my mind that intelligence is only a fraction of the ingredients needed to be successful. In fact, I would say that intelligence is more of a tool that enables you to be successful rather than an ingredient itself. Right? And what he's saying is, he, doesn't, he values intelligence, but it's not really intelligence that he actually values the most, right? It's success. Um, which is not the case for the people in Athens. For them, it's intelligence. It's knowledge, right? So the reason why the Athenians responded to Paul and Silas with curiosity is because they valued knowledge, right? They loved hearing new concepts and ideas. That's, that's what they valued. That's something that I value, right? Um, I'm realizing more and more that I am, I, I like conversing on a conceptual level, right? And then um, I'm realizing more and more that I need to do less of that at times, right? Uh, but for the Thessalonians, they valued success, and that's why they responded with jealousy. Because to, in their minds, Paul and Silas was not being faithful. They weren't being faithful to God's calling, they were being successful, more successful than them. And because they valued success for themselves, 
They responded in that way. In Berea, what did they value? The reason why the Bereans responded with eagerness and examining the word of God daily is because they valued the word of God above any, anything else. In Acts 17, verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the Bible to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching was true according to the scripture. So they didn't even value these missionaries as much as they valued the word of God, right? And lastly, in Athens, the reason, like I said, the reason why they responded with curiosity is because they valued knowledge. The two types of knowledge that this chapter presents to us is the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, before you, your eyes glaze over over those words, Epicureanism is about hedonism. It's about pleasure. Uh, if you're an Epicurean, you want pleasure above anything else. But it's not that simple. It's not just any kind of pleasure. They valued mental pleasure about, above physical pleasure, right? And the ultimate pleasure that they valued was the freedom from any anxiety and mental pain in this life, right? So they valued that above everyone else. So they were hedonists. And then the other one, the Stoics, they were, they valued virtue above everything else. That's weird. <laughs> um, they valued virtue as the highest good. So for the Stoics, they felt that you needed to be indifferent to the changes that would happen to you, whether it be pleasurable or painful. That's what they valued. So you have in the city of Athens two polar opposites of people who value the same thing, knowledge, right? The Epicureans, they valued mental pleasure. The Stoics, they valued virtue the ability to, be, to remain unchanged in the face of pain or pleasure, right? And for Paul, he's preaching to these people, telling them that this is not enough. This is not what's at the heart of life. It's not success, and it's not knowledge. Right? It's not even just knowing the Word of God. Right? It's not even just being successful morally. It's not success. It's not knowledge. And what he was saying, there's one central message that we all needed, that they need, that they needed, is Jesus and the resurrection. And what he's saying is, what you need is not a philosophical system to the Athenians. What you need is not some great strategy or methodology to give you success in life some pragmatic success story, that's not what you need. What he's saying is you need a relationship with God himself. That's why he focused his message on the person of Jesus Christ and what had happened to him, the resurrection. Because if you think about it, if you think about the need for the resurrection, you realize your life needs to change. Right? Um, I put a quote in your bulletin. I don't know how many of you guys read the quote. It takes me about 10 minutes to put it in. When I can't find one, just that one quote, I, I update everything else. That takes more time. 
It takes about an hour to update this, right? I'm not saying that so you can read it more, right? Maybe just a little, maybe 10%, right? Um, but this is a really good quote. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, well, former founding pastor of Redeemer. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So what, basically what he's doing is, um, if you want to find truth, truth is not upon what you believe or what you think is true. Truth is based upon whether this, whether Jesus rising from the dead, whether it actually historically happened or not. That's what he's saying. And it really doesn't matter whether you believe that to be true or not, it's going to be true objectively anyway, regardless, even if the whole world didn't believe it, it would still be true. That's the assumption that he has by saying what he said. And what he's saying, what Paul, what, what he's saying is the resurrection is that crucial. That's how it all ties together. If, the resurrect, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you, you don't, there's no point to anything here. There's no point to worship. There's no point in moral standards. There's no point in expecting standards from others. Right? There's no point in that. Because if there is no resurrection, there is no need for any kind of repentance, any kind of conformity to God's standard. It all hangs on this. And Paul knew that. See, it's not just a matter of having a philosophical system. It's not just a matter of having some uh, pragmatic system that'll grant you success, right? It's about Jesus Christ and having that relationship with him, even when, just as the Stoics valued, even when all things fail. And just as the Epicureans valued, that becomes your greatest pleasure is that relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see, what the Epicureans wanted in Athens and what the Stoics wanted in Athens is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you realize what the Jews wanted in Thessalonica is fulfilled in Jesus Christ because in Jesus Christ, you have the greatest success. I'm not talking about if you believe in Jesus, he'll grant you success in your, in your business or in your family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus having that relationship with Jesus Christ that itself is the success. Right? So I want to leave you with this word about the resurrection. It's foolish. It really is. Because in some instances, it won't grant you that pragmatic success that we want. And in other senses, it won't grant you the respect of an intellectual community that prides itself and values um, new teachings and philosophical principles. It's not going to grant you that respect, and it's not going to grant you that success. But it will give to you the very thing that we all need most of all, much more than success in this life and much more than intellectual respect. It's eternal life. You belong with Christ. Right? 
And there are going to be many idols that challenge you and try to distract you from that. But that's the core of our existence. That's what we need. And the Bereans, they knew it. And because they knew it and because they felt it, right, they spent their time in the scriptures daily. You see, reading the Bible is not an objective in of itself, right? It's a natural outflow of your passion, of your love for the Lord. Uh, Elon Musk, if you read that, um, not Elon, Jim Cantrell, if you continue reading that article, he goes on to define three things that to him is what success is. And he, he began with the, with, the, with the idea that intelligence is not success. You know, especially in the Asian context, I feel like sometimes we, we feel like intelligence equals success, right? And because we value that. But he says it's just a tool, right? Um, the number one thing that he itemizes as a component of success is passion. Passion. Okay. That you do what you love and that you love what you do. Um, true success and true happiness and true knowledge is found not in a philosophical system and not in some pragmatic pragmatic method of living life. True success is found in a relationship with the one who has risen from the dead. The way that this becomes a passion in your life is when you realize, when you go through the logic of how a resurrection came to be. If you have a resurrection, you have a death, right? If Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? It's because God had to judge sin, right? Why is there sin? It's because we were born in it. And we, are a continu we continue that original sin every day. So when you realize that Jesus rose from the dead because he took on the punishment and the judgment that should have come upon us because we are sinners. Your heart breaks and your mind is overwhelmed with that truth so that that becomes the soul-gripping passion of your life that drives you, that makes you a better employee or employer, that makes you a better family member to your, to your spouse, to your parents, to your siblings. The resurrection drives us, if you understand what the resurrection means. So the resurrection is foolish, but I pray as we sang, what was it, our first song, to open our eyes and to see. For you to understand that and for you to see past the foolishness of the resurrection, it has to be an act of God. And if you want that, you have to ask God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together to consider the resurrection and the power and the, and the beauty that it has over our heart, over our minds. Um, I pray that you may convict us on a daily basis to examine 
the word that you have given us so that beyond success and beyond knowledge, we can seek the true treasure in our lives that is a relationship with Christ, the one who was resurrected from the dead because he is the one who paid for our sins. Lord, let that overwhelm our hearts and our minds to the point that that becomes our greatest passion in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please arise as we sing our closing song.